what's for dinner? If you've ever asked your roommates, your partner, your family that question, and turned to meal kit delivery as one solution, you'll be just as excited as I am for today's guest. Drew Sood is the co-owner of Fresh Prep, a Vancouver-based meal kit company. Fresh Prep helps busy people like you create world-class dinners in minutes with prepared recipe ingredients delivered weekly to your door. Dhruv and his co-founder Hussein made it to BC Business's top 30 under 30 list back in 2018, and I feel like they're just getting started. Earlier this year, they raised $7 million in Series A funding, and in the fall 2020, Fresh Prep made their 5 millionth dinner for customers out of their 45,000 square foot food production facilities. So in this episode, we dig into hedging risk as a business owner, leveraging technology to make your business really fly, and how to make decisions while figuring things out as you go. Welcome to Progress Not Perfection, the leadership podcast where we grow through what we go through. My name is JQ and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they build companies and communities, products and services with a vision for the greater good. We dig into how they create clarity and chaos as they wrestle with messy situations and also how they navigate their own career journeys along the way. If you're ready, let's step to it. Drew, thanks so much for being with me today. To kick us off, in January 2015, you started Fresh Prep with Hussein and Becky. And for those of us who don't know what Fresh Prep is, how would you describe Fresh Prep in your own words? Thanks for having me. This is exciting. We're a local sustainable meal kit company looking for ways to make eating well effortless for as many people as we can. We develop exciting, wholesome recipes for our customers to choose from, and then we prep, we portion, and then we deliver the ingredients and instructions for those recipes in a reusable cooler bag. Mm -hmm. So it's an online subscription, and you get a delivery weekly. That's perfect. That's perfect for busy people who don't have the time to go grocery shopping, where you deliver it to them with instructions on how to whip up their dinner. Yeah, definitely. It's all about saving time and sort of the headspace that grocery shopping and meal planning and all. Mm -hmm. I'm always curious about the origin story. Love for you to take us back to 2015. Uh, What was it like starting off? Walk us through your first few years and starting the company. What did that look like compared to today? Yeah, for sure. I can't believe that was five years ago. I I feel like I don't even remember my life before that. (laughs) we started off yeah five years ago without a business plan actually despite the five years in business school and we had the idea of fresh prep of delivering meal kits but it wasn't something that was that was done in vancouver or had barely started in canada altogether so we had no idea how it's going to go so we didn't really have grand plans far out Everything was like almost on a three-month basis. Like, let's just give this a shot. So basically, we incorporated the company. We got a space. We bought a domain name. And we took some terrible pics of food and called it Fresh Prep and told the world that we were a startup. By that, I mean we posted it up on Facebook. <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> yeah. And then at that point, I barely even understood what a startup was. It was a whole different time. We we started out really small, just by ourselves, 
really trying to figure out the idea itself. I think the idea started off with something different, um, something a lot more complex. The original idea was to offer like hundreds of recipes on demand. Oh, wow. So it, like it was, that was almost. like the, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, when the cooking channels were really popular to basically be able to offer all of those recipes on demand and have customers be able to order it at work and have it at home by the time they get home, which is quite the feat. <laughs> Logistically. Um, so, so we toned that down to 10 recipes that were, that were going to be our classics and, and stay around for a little while. And that's how we got started. So it was 10 recipes. You have to give us like a few days lead time. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you know what, what strikes me at this point, for, for those not familiar with the meal kit industry, you kicked off in 2015, but companies like Blue Apron, which I feel is the most well-known meal kit company in the U.S., they did an IPO until June 29, 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that really speaks to how the industry was in the early stages yeah. of starting to form and shape. And so as you were starting to figure all this out, it sounds like a ton of experimentation. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a very young industry. I mean, like our sort of competitors within Canada basically all started in like the same month that we did. So, so it's just like just happened to be that, you know, across Canada, a bunch of different companies popped up Mm -hmm. yeah so you guys Um, were trying to figure out how to run while you were running yeah exactly which is why when we started like a business plan kind of we thought wouldn't make much sense i mean if i were to do it again i would probably spend more time (laughs) on that business plan but yeah it's always 2020 looking back so yeah that's Um, the definition of agile where did you start off physically geographically yeah Um, so we started off in a basement in Chinatown. It was actually, it was funny. It was like the storage room of a multi-purpose building. Did you say storage room? Kind of. It was like, I think it was supposed to be like the common, like common area for the, for the people living in that building. But the owner of the building had turned it into a storage room and then had put the storage aside and built up a wall and, and given us the rest of the space. So then, so then we got in there and then first things first, we talked to Coastal Health and they said, yeah, it's fine. As long as you have a sink, like your plan is approved. And then we went to the city and the city's like, yeah, you can't do business in like a hobby room. (laughs) (laughs) If you had put the sink in and then got that feedback. Yeah. 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 So we'd already started construction and then we were trying to get our business license and then the city was like yeah no you like you, this this address this space first of all this space doesn't even have an address you're just giving me the building address and then yeah there's no it's just not licensable <laughs> so yeah i guess uh, financially at the time you were just two years out of university and dumping all this money into the sink was that all from savings at that point yeah 100 percent of it i mean we put everything or yeah, we put everything I had and at that point the mentality was kinda like, Oh, like got a long life ahead of me, I'm, I'm sure I can make it back. It's not like my savings are are that meaningful anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. but but um yeah, paying paying for that sink was a little hurtful. Yeah, you had this uh, mentality of being able to risk it all because from your point of view, you thought, if it doesn't work out, I can make it all back if I need to go get a job. And it actually sounds very reminiscent of 
you and I both know Bob Wang. Yeah. And he speaks to this in his episode of how he had this similar mentality of, I'm going to take this risk, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just go get a job. So why not? Why not do this now? Yeah, for sure. I I firmly believe that, like, especially when you're young, like, you know, you don't have a family yet, and there's not really much in terms of responsibility, so Mm -hmm. it's not much to lose. Yeah. What was your timeline like? You mentioned earlier, three months at a time. Was that your timeline when you first started because of the lease, or was it longer than that? Um, <laughs> I could look back and and say that that we did things around three months at a time. I'd say in the moment we had no plan; we just <laughs> took it a, a week at a time or a day at a time. But mm. over time, as the company started to grow and things started to normalize, that timeline sort of sort of extended. Mm, yeah, um, but. Yeah, it's just that the things were changing so fast that it just made no sense to think about anything past three months because you don't know if that pace of change is going to continue. <clears throat> you don't know what's going to happen mm. after those three months. So, like, there's just no point. Yeah. You know, a lot of the theme of this podcast is how are millennials hacking their way through the thick of life, meaning how do we act and how do we move forward when we don't know what to do? And so taking us back to the Chinatown basement then, the city tells you, you're not allowed to do that, and uh, you can't just set up shop there. What did you do then? So then we did what we thought was like the only route, which is we went out and found a retail space way out around UBC. So a whole different locality. I'd lived in that area before going to school at UBC, so knew the area well, and it was, you know, right behind a 99 Beeline bus stop, so Great the big idea was that, yeah, so the big idea was that we were going to um, open up a cafe slash juice bar, run that and pay rent with the, the revenues coming in from like the bus stop traffic and the locals that live there and then try out Fresh Prep sort of in the back of that facility. So then Fresh Prep quickly turned from like Fresh Prep to now a juice bar and a cafe. Yeah, talk about pivoting. What was that timeline? Opening in Chinatown, shutting it down, opening in Point Grey? <laughs> um, yeah, so we got we actually got the keys to the Chinatown place by the 1st of December. That's where we moved in, in 2014, actually. Mm-hmm. And so we moved in 2014, December, and by, I remember, February 18th of 2015 was the day we got the keys to the new place. Wow. And basically, yeah, and basically from the day we got those keys, we then spent a nice month and a half doing the renos and setting up our cafe by ourselves. <laughs> Probably time could have been better spent elsewhere, but... <laughs> There's this uh, key idea of hedging your bets because you figured you could use the cafe to pay rent and then try fresh prep in the background. Um, yeah. Let's fast forward maybe a year and a half after opening the cafe in Point Grey. What was that first year and a half like? Yeah, so that first year and a half, we went from nobody buying Fresh Prep to 200 people buying Fresh Prep weekly. Uh, Not even 200 people, sorry, around 70 people, which ended up being around 200 meals for two. Mm -hmm. So in that year and a half, all we got was around 70 people trying out Fresh Prep. We had no sense when it came to marketing and maybe no 
risk tolerance for it either, given our financial situation at the time. And we were sort of just perfecting the product, trying to bring it to a point that we could actually scale it. Mm. And I can talk this lingo now looking back, but in the moment, I, I don't think we knew that we were trying to figure out how to scale it. Mm. We were just trying to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about fixing it. What do you mean by that? Well, they, like, I I remember walking into the store one day and, and Becky was like, we have 12 orders. And we were overwhelmed. And this was... And this is like so we like we had no processes in place, our packaging wasn't right, like nothing um worked for us to be able to do more than twelve orders, right? So mm-hmm. and that's um that's not enough to make any kind of money. So that um yeah, it was that process of changing how we do things to make sure we can handle more and more orders and doing it quickly. So part of it was packaging, you know. <laughs> We, there's one time where we would buy a tube of plastic and then seal the ends to make our own plastic bags to then put, put ingredients inside that plastic bag. Oh yeah. Like a poly bag. A lot of do it yourself. Yeah. Cause we didn't even know that we could just pre-purchase like, like <laughs> poly bags. You're like, we have right, to make so, our own. Let's go. <laughs> so we saw the tube. We're like, yeah, we need different size poly bags so we can like custom size this to whatever we want. And then we spent hours just <laughs> like building the perfect. But then at the same time, um, one of the reasons was because there's so many different ingredients and so many different sizes, we wanted to have a plastic bag that was perfectly sized for the ingredient going in which meant a lot of skews if we're looking at poly bags. But we were really keen on reducing that plastic that was going out. So for us, it was just a no-brainer to get this tube. But the amount of labor and time it took, like we, we couldn't service any more than X number of orders um, mm. if, we kept that, if we kept that up. Yeah, when, when did you start to notice that things were starting to shift from, oh my gosh, let's try to figure things out, do our own plastic bags, try to figure out how to deal with 12 customers in one day and when did it shift from that to woohoo we're flying um in terms of like we're we're really on top of our orders and really able to fulfill yeah exactly um probably shifted like three months ago (laughs) (laughs) okay and give us a sense of what the contrast is so you have 75 customers at that point end of 2016 maybe yeah um, 75 as in like 75 people ordering regularly on a week. And then now we're, we're doing around 10,000 deliveries a week. 10,000 deliveries a week? Yeah. So 10,000 10, customers a week. Wow. Okay. Roughly. So we've seen a lot of growth over the years and have been quite lucky with our timing and have a great product and a good team behind it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think when you and I were talking, you said that you have 200 plus employees and 100 plus drivers today. Is is that That's right? That's right. Yeah, it's it's a big fulfillment sort of operation. I think we, we take on a lot of the work ourselves, even relative to our peers in the meal kit industry. Mm. We're just sort of DIY. It just adds to, to the employees. And we have our own drivers versus others using careers or FedEx or Catapost or something like that. But mm-hmm. we've always built it um, ourselves so. and when did the cafe shut down do you still have the cafe or is that shuttered 
Oh no, that's um once Fresh Prep started to take off basically by August of 2016, um we shut down the the cafe or September by 2016. I think the cafe went through maybe five or six renos within the year and a half just to get more space for the Fresh Prep side of things. But we weren't bold enough to just shut it down and and do Fresh Prep. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it wasn't a revenue stream we were willing to let go even though it wasn't exactly profitable. Right. But yeah, by I think September 2016, the cafe was basically we had cardboard on the windows and the entrance was closed, but inside we were still there fulfilling orders. Hmm. Wow. Um, My hypothesis here is that, you know, retail space is going to be a lot more expensive in a location like Point Grey versus an industrial spot elsewhere. What was the decision process like in deciding to shut down the cafe? Yeah, so until we shut down and actually started looking for a new space, well, until we got to that point, we didn't even know. We didn't even know that that we could go to an industrial space and it was going to be a lot cheaper. Like We didn't know that the rent we were paying was a lot. Um, yeah, we, we were sort of figuring that out as we started looking at other places, so... Yeah, any particular takeaways from the cafe looking back that made you think, wow, we should have done it this way or we should have done it differently? Any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the cafe is more of a established business, established industry, I guess. And, and we, we could have planned out our like our business plan for the cafe a lot better than we did. Mm-hmm. We took the same attitude we had towards fresh prep where it's like, Oh, we don't know what's going to happen. We took that to the cafe side, which we could have done better. Other than that, I mean, our, our cafe was, I can't say it was great. <laughs> <laughs> our juices, like our recipes were really good. And when they were available, it was really good, but we but never, cafe. yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest one. Other than that, like, yeah, do your research. I mean, we didn't know that we could go to a commissary space and Mm. scale from there. We we would have probably done that instead of paying three times as much for a retail space and spending a month and a half to build that up. Yeah. When that's not what we started off to do, right? That's not what we quit our jobs to do. Mm. But we did it anyway. But on the other side... Yes, it took a year and a half to figure out the packaging, the systems and everything for Fresh Prep. But that year and a half was also time spent at the cafe talking to customers, come walking into the door, trying to convince people of Fresh Prep and like noticing like what it takes to convince someone to to buy Fresh Prep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so getting that exposure and also just getting time to think because I spent hours juicing, so. (laughs) As you ponder. So it's just like, yeah, and then just getting time to think and and figure all that stuff out. So I can't say Fresh Rip's doing great, so I wouldn't say that I'd do anything differently over again, right? So You know, this reminds me of a Chinese proverb that says, chase two rabbits, catch none, because of the fact that you had both the cafe and Fresh Prep but that's not true um, because it feels like it gave you the space to think and really land on what fresh prep was going to be, even though you're trying to catch two rabbits at that point. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like chase two rabbits and get a good workout. <laughs> <laughs> yes, elevate no your mind and elevate your fitness. <laughs> 
Yeah. You brought up your competitors a bit earlier with the difference in delivery and couriering food. What other differentiators between you and your competitors come to mind now? Um, so our competitors started out a lot bigger, um, which meant that, you know, they had probably deals with FedEx, Canada Post and others. And so when they were delivering, they were delivering through the mail. One of the things that I couldn't wrap my head around back then and still sort of firmly believe is that food is not something that can go through that delivery system. Just because food's sort of, you know, relatively speaking, a low value, high volume, high weight, perishable good. Mm. Right. So it's like all the worst things for shipping. If you're trying to get an efficient shipping cost. So when it comes to shipping through the mail, you're, you're probably spending a lot there. And so that was one of the biggest things that we didn't, we didn't want to go that route. And we saw that as a big weakness of the way our competitors were doing it. And so we started shipping ourselves. I mean, the other, the other part to it is that we didn't even have that route available because we had 12 to 70 customers and not thousands to be able to get any sort of volume discount. So to put it into perspective, when I did my research, for me to ship you a box that size on a one-day delivery, on overnight delivery, would cost about 60 to $75 retail. Whoa. And, the, and what you're paying is <laughs> is around 70 bucks with, with our peers. So, um, so that's the retail value and wholesale costs are maybe half to a third. Like that's what my research told me. So like we're talking like 20 bucks for shipping on a really low margin product to begin with because we're again we're talking about food right Meals. so yeah yeah so so that was one of the big sort of fundamental differences and that forced us to build out our delivery platform as well now that sort of put us in position to create a lot of other differences um one was the packaging so we use reusable cooler bags um not only do we save a lot of money doing that we save the environment the cardboard boxes the insulation the ice packs that go with there's a lot of waste there with the mail deliveries a ton of waste and mm-hmm. it's bad for the environment it's actually like super annoying to put out too so, so so that's that's another side and then with all the savings from packaging and from delivery we were actually able to spend more on food mm. and more on our labor what that means to us is higher quality more expensive ingredients altogether. So a lot of like mushrooms, asparagus and that kind of stuff. And then also more prepped. So one of the basic differences that we started with was that fresh prep was going to be prepped. So the ingredients were actually going to come in chopped. And that makes it easier, um, but also allows for the recipes to be a lot more sophisticated. No kidding. Because if we're putting a 30 minute time limit on the recipes to be created, which is what we're selling, right? It's the convenience of, of the 30-minute meal. Then having prepped ingredients. It's crucial. Prepped ingredients, you know, prep is in the name, reusable cooler bags, and a self-operated delivery system, which had a lot more visibility on last mile. So, for oh, example, yeah. today, if you're a customer and you have your delivery coming, one, we can give you a really short window um, that the delivery is coming within. As the delivery is happening, it's kind of like Uber Eats or DoorDash where you get a text saying that your driver's on the way. You can watch the driver come to you. And after all this, if you're still not home or or you just can't accept the delivery in the moment and you need the driver to come back two hours later, we can do that. 
and we do that every day for our customers. Wow. Just because we, you know, we have a bunch of drivers going around so we can find a way to get you that bag when you want it. There's that adaptability and scheduling. Yeah, exactly. So ultimate flexibility, reusability, prepped ingredients, and, and all of this at a higher margin than our competitors. And it all kind of starts from not delivering through the mail. Yeah, you've talked a lot about delivery and how that's a differentiation. And I feel like sustainability is such a huge por- portion or part of that. Meal kit companies have gotten a lot of flack for the waste that comes with packaging. But in 2019, a study by a science direct compared the traditional I go out to get groceries through a traditional grocery store chain versus the direct to consumer meal kit subscription model like Fresh Prep, like Blue Apron. Mm. And uh, the study found that meal kits are actually a better choice for the environment, to your point about less packaging, but also manufacturing loss, the impact of refrigerated storage, as well as the difference between last mile delivery compared to huge semi trucks driving across the country. And so I love that Fresh Prep has a goal of being a zero waste company by 2025, especially given your priorities in creating a 100% reusable meal kit. But why is that so important to you and your co-founders? It's a great question. Sustainability altogether is is really important to us just, just in general. I mean, we live in a beautiful province and every time I go on vacation, I'm just reminded <laughs> that BC is a great place to live. So oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to definitely preserve what's here. But I think the decision to go zero waste for something like zero waste to thrive, it has to still come from like a business point of view. So I have this um, less is less mindset. So not like less is more, but less is less and less is great. Um, so I'll explain, but it's, it's about how little energy or little effort or money or carbon or any sort of impact mm-hmm. that I can get away with to achieve the desired outcome. I remember a course in, in school where I was arguing with the prof because he gave me a wrong impression of what where I stood before the final. And I was like, oh, I would have tried harder on the final if I knew the correct standing. And, and he was like, why wouldn't you just go all out anyway? And, you know, that's, that's the recommended way. But for me, it's all about as little as I can put in to get the desired outcome. This isn't out of trying to be really efficient or being really cheap or lazy. But it's from like a view of increasing your return on investment. Yep. So bring it back to our packaging. So when you look at packaging from this point of view, you see it as a necessary evil to get the product to the customer, right? right. So when you look at it from a less is less, it's like what I'm looking to send out is food, not the packaging. Yeah. It's a necessary evil. It's something you want to try your best to do without. So when we came to Zero Waste, we came to it with the attitude that we're going to get rid of this necessary evil and we're going to make a better overall return on our investment by doing so. That's so good. So it's uh, it's not just going for zero waste for the sustainability aspect, but like trying to do less and get the same outcome. And so for us, it was, yeah, we're going to to make an overall better return by by reducing packaging. The zero waste project that we're working on and other projects that are going to go towards making us a zero waste company by 2025, there's a ton of automation involved in it. There's a ton of design and simplicity that's brought in just to to make it as minimalistic as possible for the sake of doing less. 
but still providing a better experience to our customers than what they're getting today. Mm-hmm. And can I just say, I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect that answer. And I, I love that because fundamentally it boils down to do what is absolutely necessary. And it 100% follows the Pareto principle of 20% of your efforts contribute to 80% of your results. What you're doing here is you're focusing on the absolute 20% that will get you 80% of the way there. In this case, zero waste. Yeah, exactly. You brought up automation, and I also love this because I feel like technology allowed you to scale. Mm -hmm. How are you incorporating tech into your business now versus how much of an impact did it make early on when you started to incorporate tech into your operations? Mm -hmm. I think in the starting, it was just getting used to what the industry standards were in terms of, so like, (laughs) I remember I had a pitch deck in uh, March 2016 where the big the big home run was going to be buying a food processor, <laughs> right? Like that's going to be the technology that was coming into the company. So instead of hand chopping carrots, I was going to mm-hmm. be able to run it through a food processor. That was a commercial size one. So at first it was more of that. It was just figuring out because we're new to food altogether, right? We don't have, we didn't have any experience in food prior to this. Barely worked in the kitchen before. I think it was a job I held for two days when I was young. <laughs> the irony yeah so then that was the early days and then there was also some creativity around using industry standard things for what they're not meant to be doing so one of the best best investments we made in technology was to buy packaging machines to reduce their labor costs and the issue is that packaging machines out there so imagine like a soy sauce packet that you get at a restaurant mm, mm-hmm. or would take out. So a machine to, to make those little sachets, um, they're usually in factories where they're meant to be doing the same thing for the rest of their life. They're going to be there in a soy sauce factory and they're going to pack soy sauce for the rest of their life. And they're built for that. Um, but for us, we have over 900 different ingredients. Yeah. And those ingredients change every single week with our recipes. Because of that, we had to basically mod those machines to to work for us. One day packaging soy sauce, the other day it's vinegar, the other day it's tomato paste or, or whatever it is. All of that sort of customization and flexibility we needed from the machines, that was our first sort of smaller investment into technology, apart from just buying machines that were pre prefabricated. Um and then there's there's our digital side, which is, you know, having our own website, cl- collecting data in the right way and having a, a nice seamless experience for our customers. So we invested in a developer when we were only at a thousand orders a week or not even actually. We we're at around six, seven hundred orders a week when we got our first developer. So that was, that was quite early. Um, didn't feel that we could really afford a developer. Didn't feel like we, we sort of deserved one <laughs> given the size. But, um, but yeah, we, we got someone in and, and it's haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Drill down into this a little bit more for me in terms of your mindset, whether it was hardware like food processing machines or the software side with the developer. How are you deciding <laughs> what to invest in with your available capital? One of the biggest things I took away from school was, um, which honestly in the moment I didn't feel like I was 
I cared much for it, but it's payback period. So always looking at the payback period of your investment because because we didn't have more than a three-month outlook, the payback period on the investment had to be short accordingly. So we started off with the really short payback period for most investments, sort of are slowly moving that out. Mm. So even today, for example, we would barely invest in anything that wouldn't pay us back within six months. And yeah. so that's how we prioritize our investments is obviously the impact of the investment and then the payback period has to be very short. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with an investment that's, you know, a payback period of five years or, or longer. But for us, we just can't commit. We're kind of fickle with, with our investments because, again, things are changing so quickly. It's it's hard to, to commit. Absolutely agree. And Thanks for letting me dig into how you make decisions because I think it speaks to what factors you're considering when when you don't know what to do. Yeah. In this case, you're only going to invest in this opportunity if you can get X return on it by Y date. Pretty logical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked a lot about your business, but if we can shift gears a bit, I'd love to talk a little bit more about you. You and I met a decade ago back in 2010 in university when we both joined Alpha Kappa Psi, which is a professional co-ed business fraternity on campus. And we've been friends for a while. So I'm curious, from your point of view, how have you changed as a person? Namely, have your attitudes towards anything strengthened or pivoted? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. For starters, I'll say like 10 years ago, my choices were rudimentary i guess i'm even even my choices from when fresh prep started till now have been have seen quite the progression i often lead my sentences now with like i'm going to eat my words in two years because now i'm wise enough to know that i don't know much at all it's a lot like the progression between grade eight and grade 12 or between say first year of college and your last yep where if you can imagine yourself as a senior in both those situations, you're looking at the younger crowd coming in and they're loud and obnoxious, right? Basically, over time, you calm the hell down and are humbled <laughs> by what you realize you don't know. Yeah. And in the process, you also get to know yourself better. The last five years, I've calmed down. You know, I'm humbled by realizing what I don't know. And I'm definitely more sure of myself or, or know myself better. I've been lucky to to be able to get that pace of development. Yeah, just the and high people level just working of growth. hard in general is that yeah, the pace of growth is is very quick. Or like maintaining that pace of growth that you have in school is really difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this definitely gives you a good platform. Yeah, one one example is that when starting fresh prep, if I ever watched any panels or interviews from other founders you know, people would ask what's your most important or difficult thing and they would talk about culture and people. Mm-hmm. And that's all they talked about and that's what it came down to. And and when I watched that back in the day, I was like, eh, I don't think so. I can kind of, I'll, I'll just solve all the problems by myself, right? And so I didn't really pay much attention to it. I didn't give it any weight. But then over time like if you were to ask me today i'd say absolutely culture and getting the best people is the most important and most difficult thing to do yeah you know we're lucky to have an amazing team running the company for us and 
it's quite the change. So overall, I think my perspective's definitely gotten broader as well. I'm a little more patient and have a sense of of like what other perspectives could could be. I think my perspectives. So now that I think back, like ten years ago, wow, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for how probably obnoxious and and loud I was. Yeah, I can't believe we were friends back then. <laughs> It really goes back to, you know, they say that experience is the best teacher. And it feels like your experience has tremendously matured you in terms of perspective. Any moments that stick out as having shaped you over the past decade? Oh, within Fresh Prep alone, I'd say running out of money often um, was definitely things that that has shaped shaped me to today. Yeah, so it's like cash was kind of like a like a hot potato sometimes. And then making a lot of decisions where it's kind of like being stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. So there were times where we were moving to a new building, but still building in the old building because we just needed it so badly, even though we knew it was going to be such a waste once we move away. Whew. Those decisions were just so hard to make. I was like, ah, oh, we, we need to do this, but we really don't want to, <laughs> right? Yeah. So... Yeah, so stuff like that. Because it feels like sunk effort. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, we're growing, things are good, so it's it's not the the worst decision to make. It's just such a hard decision to make, knowing that you're going to look back and hate that wall that you built. <laughs> yeah, and vice versa. What moments stick out as the most joyous or proud moments? Ones that, instead of having shaped you, the ones that you shaped after having put a lot of effort and countless hours in. And maybe it's not just you, it's you and your team to your point about people and culture. It's you and 300 plus people. Yeah, for us overall, getting funding is probably the most validating thing and, and at all levels, really. Um, not just the recent round, but even our first round as when we got some angel investors in or or when we got some debt in, like all those times, it was especially coming out of the finance industry for me personally, being able to get funding is sort of that validation that I'm not doing, I didn't make the, the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely the one that sticks out the most. Apart from that, when we hit a million orders, that felt great. Cause that's a, it's a big number. Huge. Yeah, just watching the company grow every day. I think it's it all happening so fast that one of our weaknesses is actually celebrating our, our wins. Yeah, and I think that transitions to in the current state of the world as restaurants have taken a hit, ghost kitchens are on the up and up. What are your hopes for the future for either Fresh Prep or yourself? For the company, I mean, definitely getting to that 2025 zero waste goal. Super important building a, a household brand within BC at least within the next three to five years where you know we're known to be just just a great company overall loved by our customers by our employees um, by the business world for me personally I mean I, I really enjoy working at fresh prep and helping build it further so mm-hmm. but yeah work, work is really fun so I just to me it's just my life I don't even see it as work It's funny Drew said that because him and I have spoken sporadically over the past decade, but Fresh Prep actually comes up a ton in conversation where my friends are constantly asking me, hey man, if you're so busy, why don't you just get Fresh Prep? 
So I feel like he's already on his way to becoming a household name with Fresh Prep. If you want to check it out, you can check them out at freshprep.ca and on Instagram at freshprepca. Get world-class dinners in minutes with Fresh Prep. If you enjoyed this episode, follow, subscribe, share. You know the drill. Love you guys. Until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ, out.